Good morning, church. Please open your Bibles to um, the text that you just saw on the screen. 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 8. Read from a little bit different text and maybe with a little bit different meaning. We got a slew of folks that are on the road for vacation because it's the 4th of July weekend. And if you're listening to this sermon via the KCC website and you're at the beach or the lake, or the mountains, we're not bitter. We were, but we're working through it. God's using your absence to build character in the rest of our lives. For those of you who are visiting with us today, helping to uh, make this just a little bit nicer, cozier family gathering, we're glad that you're here. If you're visiting, you're coming on board in the midst of an in-betweener, I like to call them. We've just finished a series called God Did What?, And next week, I'm about to launch a series, Lord willing, entitled, Here I Am, to Worship. This message is the in-between of those two series, but I can promise you this, by no means is it gap filler. I believe God has a word for us this morning, and I'm humbly glad and excited to share it with you. While you're turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 8, or using your mobile device or whatever, I want to put a picture up on the screen that... um, may require a little bit of focus, a little bit of imagination to get an idea of, of, of exactly who that is. That is the sportsman family. Now, some people have been asking, was I born with gray hair? And the answer is yes. I colored it, though, when I was younger. That is a picture of the sportsman family in 1996. It's from the Gateway Church of Christ pictorial directory. Anybody else here been in a pictorial directory? Helpful things, but they're not much fun, are they? Yeah. And the pictures never are really quite what you'd hope that they would be. But that was the sportsman gang back in 1996. Interesting thing about photos. Every photo you see has a story. Every one. Behind that story is a past. And connected to that past, in the midst of that past, made up of that past, are some wonderful things and some not so wonderful, maybe even awful things going on. When you're looking at that photograph. Some of the wonderful things going on at that time in our life was, number one, all the sportsmen were very, very healthy. Most of our lives we have been, but very healthy. That was, that was awesome. Um, the girls were doing great in school. That was awesome. Uh, the church there in Rudoso was uh, in, a, in a huge period of growth, uh, an impact on our community, uh, which was so fun to be a part of. Um, but what you don't see... In those smiles is some of the awful that was going on. That period of time was when our marriage became intensely bad. Not just for days, not just for weeks. But for the next five years, they were a tremendous struggle for us. As we tried to just find a place of comfortableness in the sportsman household for our marriage. That ended when I filed for divorce in September of 2001. But God. Last week I had the chance to share our story about how God resurrected the sportsman marriage. And in a couple of weeks we'll be celebrating 31 years. But at that moment, behind those smiling faces, life wasn't very good. The reason why I chose to share our story with this family only six months into my ministry with you guys 
It's twofold. Number one, we feel safe enough to do it. And that's huge. We have been so loved and we have been so accepted since the day that we have arrived that sharing that difficult story in this place of graciousness made it much more easier. Number two, because we want to deepen the atmosphere of the grace that's already here and widen and broaden that grace. We so much want those who struggle coming here with not feeling good enough to understand this, that the minister who stands before them week in and week out to preach isn't good enough either. That he and his wife are in the same boat with them. That Gil and I are signing on Jesus' credit card of grace just like anybody else who calls him Lord. Now you guys, I think, know that the stereotypical idea of what the church is to the world really hadn't changed a whole lot. For most of the world, they believe that those of us in here are the fine people. That we're the have-it-all-together people. For some strange reason, they think that because you attend a church, that either you are that or we think we're that. But you and I know it's not true. There are people who don't feel like they can come to a place like this because they actually feel like they've got to get themselves together, cleaned up before they can. I don't know about you, but I've been talking to some folks who I've been inviting to come and visit KCC since I've been here. And two of the top reasons that I hear from them probably parallel some of the reasons that you get turned down when you ask people to come to church. Number one answer. If I walked into that church, the walls would fall down. No way. No way. I am a mess. I know I'm a mess. And if I go in there, I'm just going to be another one of those hypocrites we talk about that are in there. I just didn't do that from out here. Second, no response. I tried church once. And my struggles weren't welcomed there. My failings were a little bit too much for my last church to handle with. And it is going to be my last church. Because I can feel not good enough out here. I don't need to go to a church to do that. Now those two responses break my heart and I really believe break the Lord's heart. This eldership, however, I know is doing its dead level best using all of its energy and resources to change that perception. I don't know how well we're going to be able to pull that off. I don't know yet. But I know this, they're trying. And they want desperately for this to be a place where people who don't feel good enough can come and bring the messes of their life that cause them to feel that and to believe that in Jesus Christ we're good enough. That's the only way, though. Only in Him. And I wanted early on for all of us to know that your preacher found help in the church. When the photograph of that awful was awful. I'm not kidding you. Gateway loved us at the beginning of that through the horrific mess of it and then the devastating end of it all the way through. There was prayers and there was working with us and counseling with us and just walking with us, eating a lunch with us, all the way through that, being family to us. And then when God put it back together in the miraculous, amazing way that He did, and oh, by the way, if you're visiting and you'd like to hear that story, 
It's on the KCC website. It's under the God Did What series. In the very last lesson, he restored. Hopefully, we're going to have a little, maybe a parenthesis with an at the sportsman story that will help you find that. It's an amazing story. But what is really fun to tell about that is not just what God did, but how God used the church to do all of it. You, you can't separate the two in our story. I don't think you can separate the two in anybody's story who's effectively witnessing for Jesus Christ. A year later, after Gil and I had been remarried, that same church invited us to be their preaching minister again, and we were for the next ten years after that. And when the elders came to us and asked us if we would come back on board as a preaching minister, they came so saying, we believe you have the potential to be more effective now in ministry than you ever were before. Before you had the credentials to teach, now you were a witness of His majesty. We believe that you could teach better from that perspective than the other. In church, make no doubt, we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. We are eyewitnesses of His majesty. And because... Of that, these verses that were read a few moments ago by Tom have a special place in Gail and I's heart. As a matter of fact, she looked at me right at the end of communion and closed my hand and said, didn't say any words, just remember? And I told her, I said, I do. And I said, I want to share these words with the church. I'm going to twist them just a little bit, or tweak them a little bit, not twist them. Because what Paul is talking about a dark time in his life that God rescued him from is what God did for us. Let's listen to these words again and pray. We don't want you in the dark, friends, about how hard it was when all this came down on us in Ruidosa. It was so bad, we didn't think we were going to make it. We felt like we had been sent to death row and that it was all over for us. As it turned out, it was the best thing that could have ever happened. Instead of our trusting in our own strength or our wits to get out of it, we were forced to trust God totally. Not a bad idea. Since He's the God who raises the dead, and He did it. He rescued us from certain doom, and He'll do it again. Rescuing us many times, as many as we need rescuing. You and your prayers are a part of the rescue operation. I don't want you in the dark about that either. I can see your faces even now lifted in praise to God for delivering us. A rescue in which your prayers played such a crucial part. I'd like to ask you to bow with me. Lord, we come before you this morning and just my heart's just full of gratitude. Thank you. For coming to our rescue. Father, that's what we want to be here on this hill. A point of rescue for any and everyone who needs it. Starting right here in this room. Father, we realize we're not the only ones endeavoring to do that. You have disciples all over this community. We want to lift up specifically St. Peter's Episcopal Church this morning. Father, in their efforts to try to be Jesus. To be a rescue point. Would you please assist them as you're assisting us? Thank you so much for working with all of us ragamuffins who wear your name as disciple. We so want people to see you more so than they ever see us. Help us to make that a reality so that all those folks who don't feel like they're good enough realize they can bring those feelings here and be at home and be with family. We ask us humbly in Jesus' name and everyone say, Amen.
Church Gill and I were able to see God do some extraordinary things out of what at that time was an extraordinary mess. And I think that is his intended modus operandi for the church, both as it was launched when Jesus ascended back to the heavens and now as he's launching us here in our own time frame in Kerrville, Texas. And I'm here to remind you this morning that God intends for you to be involved with that. Not, not the church staff, not any missionary, no professionals of any kind who've been to some school, but you. He's needing and intending, he always has, to equip us for ministry in the kingdom. And he's doing so when our natural reaction to how we handle our struggles is to cover and hide more than confess and help. Would you agree? Our default reaction when things go wrong in our life and we're embarrassed or we're ashamed that we've got F, that we failed, we've messed up, our natural knee-jerk reaction is cover and hide more so than it is confess and find help. We have learned to cover well. As a matter of fact, in this room are some cover-up artists. They're good at it. And one of them standing in front of you. It's part of why we're telling our story now, here in this place. Because I don't want to live that way anymore. Ever. I know that there are some, some, some folks who walked in here today with some shameful things, maybe some unlawful things that are either in your past or in your present. I know that there's some major problems in this room right now as we speak with drug addictions, with porn addictions, with marriages, with eating disorders, with cutting disorders. And I get the idea that you think you don't feel good enough. Some of you are just putting your foot in the water with this church thing and you're thinking, I just don't know that I could, I could feel good enough to connect my life with with words like Jesus attached to it, or righteousness, or holiness. I'm not that. I got some stuff in my life that I just soon keep covered, and nobody's business if that's okay. Well, hopefully, at the Kerrville Church of Christ, that's not okay. Covering is not okay. Confessing and getting help is the only thing that's okay. Now, that's hard for those who are just putting their feet in the water, testing out this church Christianity thing, as they watch even those of us who are Christians come to church and cover. They really don't have any mentors to look to to see how to deal with this stuff that they don't feel good enough about because what they watch us do is walk into a building like this and sing about God and pray about God and have a Lord's Supper about God and yet they can see something's not right there. Because when we got stuff in our life that we're trying to cover, we just don't do it very well. It was amazing. As I was watching the kids come up on stage, we had pottery up here, remember, a couple of months ago? That was obviously fragile. And they were wanting to lean on it and sit underneath it. It was just, and we were just holding our breath any time that any of them got near it, you know. But it was funny that they came up on stage and they saw the bump here and everybody went around it. Isn't that crazy? I was just assuming somebody was going to come step all over it and sit on it. But it, it, we're, we human beings are weird about that. We could look into people's lives and we know they're a mess. 
we can actually see some of it, but we're just going to kind of tiptoe around it and almost pretend that it's not there because maybe if I don't see theirs, they won't see mine. Am I tracking? I'm tracking. And crazily enough, what God is asking the church to do is to quit being cover-up artists and to confess and get help. Now, I'm asking, are we going to be a church who does that? Don't answer, because I don't think you tell the truth. I don't think we know the truth. Serious. We'd be one of the few churches in America doing it. But we cover up all the time. All the time. And some of this is past stuff and some of it's present stuff. But I know this. Even if it's past stuff, if I'm keeping it covered and I'm not resolving it, it goes with me every day of my life and into the future. Have you found that true? I've been living for 51 years and I'm finding that true. And I've done a lot of counseling and I'm finding that true. So I don't know what, what this represents to some of you. Maybe it's past stuff, maybe it's present stuff. Some of you maybe, you can't read. And you don't want anybody to know that. And you've learned to cover it so well. But you can't read. This may be a past thing. A lot of promises. If I get to play some ball, that pops. A lot of promises. There's very few balls in the mitt. Maybe that's where you are. How many games did you miss this year in Little League? How many games? It's going to slow down next year, next summer. It'll get easier, and I won't have to miss so many games. It was a prescription for your knee. It was hurting. It's not a prescription for your knee. It's a way of escape. It's a way of escape. You're addicted to prescription drugs and nobody knows. And you're covering it so well, at least you think. You cheated. And you didn't think anybody was going to find out, but they found out. And you're trying to you can to kind of keep the collateral damage from quiet. What started out as a glass of wine with dinner, it's not a glass anymore. It's a bottle. Every day. And you're covering it pretty well, but at least you think you are. You had an abortion. Or you're thinking about having one. Because i got to cover this thing before anybody finds out. What turned out as a means of discipline became a means of abuse. And you don't know how to stop being abusive. You don't know where to get help. You'd like to think that there's some place to get help, but you know what's best? I'll tell you what's best. Just cover it up. Let's just do that. And, you know, we've got some other things here, you know, some, some struggles on the Internet. We've got some struggles with, you know, telling the truth. And let's just put that in there, you know, because everybody has those. And let's just keep this covered. And let's go to church and sing, Jesus is Lord, and take the Lord's Supper. And let's talk about heaven. Let's talk about this being a place of healing and refuge. When really it's just another place to cover.
well. I don't want to spend the last chapters of my life covering. I don't want to spend the last chapters of my life with a church family who settles for covering. That's why we're telling our story. I'm going to lead with embarrassment because I guarantee you if we're going to be a church that uncovers our struggles and we share those things, maybe not publicly in an assembly like this, but in a community group or across a table in coffee, That's the church of Jesus Christ. And you know how I know? (laughs) Because of the guy who brought us Jesus Christ. (laughs) If you're hearing about Jesus today, which obviously you are. I've used the name at least 20 times. It's because of one person besides Jesus himself. You know who that is? Starts with P, ends with all. Paul. His name gets mentioned a lot in places like this. And it should because he wrote most of the New Testament. Or he's the majority writer of the New Testament. Some of the words in your wedding ceremony probably came from Paul. I used them just two weeks ago in the wedding ceremony I did at Horseshoe Bay. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Do you know what his tag was for himself? His moniker? His self-descriptor? It was not St. Paul. (laughs) He would have laughed at that. No, here's his moniker. Read it with me. Chief of... One more time. Chief... The guy most responsible for you hearing about Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago, other than Jesus Christ himself, called himself what? St. Paul? No way. Now, I realize there's some people in Minnesota, St. Paul, Minnesota, who would a whole lot rather that be the name for their town than Chief of Sinners, Minnesota. I get that. (laughs) Chamber of Commerce probably didn't think that would work too well, so let's go with the St. Paul, Minnesota instead of Chief of Sinners. Paul would have had none of that. And here's why. Because one message he would want you to get today from this message is this. If there's hope for Paul, there's hope for us all. If there is hope for Paul, there's hope for us all. Because this guy was messed up. And there is a huge reason why he chose to have him be the lead witness and testifier for those of us who would know about Christ 2,000 years from now. Because this guy was a mess. So, well, how bad was he? Well, let me put it this way. When you think of Paul, his name used to be Saul. And when you think of Saul of Tarsus, you need to think of Osama bin Laden. Osama bin Laden. I'm not exaggerating here. If when you think of Osama bin Laden, you think of a religious fanatic who somehow twisted his religious beliefs to the point that he could kill innocent people for their faith, If you know Osama bin Laden as a man who struck terror in people's lives just by the mentioning of his name. And if you know Osama bin Laden as a nut who would actually think that what he was doing, he was doing God a favor doing. We put whack jobs like David Koresh and Jim Jones in that category, don't we? 
We put Osama bin Laden in that quarry. Listen to me, church. You need to put Saul of Tarsus there. Now, don't take my word for it. Take Paul's. Because he's the one who wants us to know the mess that he was. In Acts chapter 26, he's standing before a king in Rome years later after he became a Christian instead of killing Christians. He's standing before a king trying to explain what's taking place in his life, why he's here on trial, why these Jews, these Pharisees, want to see him killed. And here's his defense. From the time of my youth, my life has been lived among my own people in Jerusalem. Practically every Jew in town who watched me grow up knew me. And if they were willing to stick their necks out, they'd tell you in person. They know that I have lived as a strict Pharisee, the most demanding branch of our religion. It's because I believed it and took it seriously and committed myself, heart, and soul to what God promised my ancestors. It's because I've held on to this tested and tried hope that I'm being called on the carpet by the Jews. They should be the ones on trial here, not me. For the life of me, I cannot see why it's criminal. It's a criminal offense to believe God raises the dead. Now that's Paul in his introduction to this King Agrippa. And then he goes on, now I admit I didn't always hold to this position. For a time, I thought it was my duty to oppose this Jesus of Nazareth with all of my might. Backed with the full authority of the high priest, I threw these believers into the Jerusalem jail right and left. Whenever it came to a vote, let me tell you how I voted. I voted for execution. I stormed through their meeting places, bullying them into cursing Jesus. I was a one-man terror obsessed with obliterating these people. Then I started on the towns outside of Jerusalem. <laughs> wow. Sister, have you seen those reeds driving down the highway where we've pretty much come to know that someone died in an automobile accident there? Whether it was a deer, whether it was alcohol, whether it was their own mistake or somebody else's fault. We, we don't know, but we know someone, someone died there. Well, I want you to know that's one thing to drive by and be curious about that. It's another thing to be the family driving by to whom that wreath belongs. And it wasn't an accident. It was a drunk driver that took your daughter or your son or your grandchildren. Now, let me ask you to imagine how that feels driving by one of those wreaths and, and you know how that, that wreath got there. Do you think it's not just sadness that they would feel? Or a kind of a whimsical remorse of who they could have been? Can you imagine some desire for vengeance? Is, am I stretching too far here? I want you to understand in Paul, Saul of Tarsus's day, when he's on the loose, finding out where these Christians are meeting, going in and pulling them out, stopping them alongside roadsides, in his day, there were reefs alongside those roads. And it was because of Saul of Tarsus that their son or daughter was either killed on the spot with stones run through with a knife or, or, or some type of a of sword or carted off to jail to be terrorized. But that was the spot where all that took place. Saul of Tarsus' name is attached to that. Because of his actions, wives celebrated birthdays of their husbands without them present. Because of Saul's zealous effort to eradicate Christianity, little girls had to walk down the aisle without their dads. 
Because of Saul of Tarsus, businesses folded and families were put out on the streets because their primary breadwinner was in jail being terrorized by a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. And he was thrilled to do it. But God, even for a maniac, for a whacked out religious fanatic like that, but God, listen to his own words. King Agrippa, one day on my way to Damascus, as always, armed with papers from the high priest authorizing my action, right in the middle of the day, a blaze of light outshining the sun poured out of the sky and on me. And my companions, O king, it was so bright. We fell flat on our faces, and then I heard a voice say in Hebrew, Saul, Saul, why are you out to get me? Why do you insist on going against the grain? And I said, who are you, master? And the voice answered, I'm Jesus, the one you're hunting down like an animal. But now up on your feet, I have a job for you. I've handpicked you to be a servant and a witness of what's happened today and to what I'm going to show you. So I'm sending you off to open the eyes of the outsiders so that they can see the difference between dark and light and choose light and see the difference between Satan and God and choose God. I'm sending you off to present my offer of sins being forgiven and a place in the family, inviting them into the company of those who begin real living by believing in me. Is that crazy or what? This guy may be responsible for the good news that you know as the gospel. But I want you to understand, he was not good news. He was the worst news. Before this moment on the road to Damascus. Such bad news that Jesus had to intervene. Here's a little side note. If you walked in here today and you think you've got some serious stuff and you're covering, has Jesus shown up to deal with your stuff personally? Probably not. Because when Jesus is required to show up, it's intense stuff. So they'd ought to have, have you breathe a sigh of relief. At least Jesus hasn't shown up yet. I got my stuff. But at least Jesus hasn't shown up. You know it's intense when Jesus personally shows up. Now he knows this isn't going to be pulled off by just his appearing himself. He's got to go talk to a part of the church. The guy's name was Ananias. <laughs> Poor Ananias. Poor Ananias. He gets a vision from God. Let me let him tell you. Acts 9-11. Ananias? Yes, Lord. Go to the house of Judas on the street called Straight and ask for a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. He's praying. <laughs> In a vision, he's seen a man by the name of Ananias come, oh, you mean me? And place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord! Don't you think he probably said that? Not Lord. But Lord! I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. 
And he's come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call upon your name? <laughs> Lord! Go. I'm telling you, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Here's where I take my hand off to Ananias. Then Ananias went <laughs> to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you might see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. And he could see again, and he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. <laughs> I don't know how many times I've read this story, heard this story. I promise you, this story's never impacted me like it has this week. This is crazy. You stop long enough in all of the life that's going on, and you think about being asked to fly over to the Middle East when Osama was alive. Jimmy, I'd like for you to board a plane and go have a Bible study with Osama bin Laden. <laughs> yeah, right, Lord. Have you not heard about what he's done in 9-11 and all these other places he's blown up and people that he's killed? Have you not heard this is a bad man? He was going to throw my Bible study notes back in my face, put me in jail, and God, who knows what's going to happen there. I don't know that I would have been as courageous as Ananias. I probably would have said, I don't want to, and I'm not going to. But Ananias goes. And I just want it to soak a little bit. Because church, if we don't get how ludicrous this is. That of all people. To be the lead person. In taking Christianity to the world. He chooses this guy. If we don't see how ludicrous that is. That if there's hope for Paul. We're not going to believe that there's hope for all. Please let this soak. I know you don't think you're good enough. I know you think you have an unlikely story that God cannot use. That God cannot overcome. <laughs> Again, God cannot overcome. But I understand how that feels. Because I have been there. You don't have to do this on your own. Yes, Jesus appears on the road to Damascus. That is a spiritual of all spiritual moments, but it's not enough. Because then he's got to bring in some of the church. He's got to bring in some Ananias. Because here's Paul. I mean, this guy's a nut. He was a nut in trying to kill these Christians, but as soon as he gets saved, he wants to tell everybody about Christ. That doesn't go over very well. When you've been killing a lot of people in your neighborhood and where you go to school, that's not received very well, and it wasn't. Listen to the text here. Paul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, astonished, 
Incredulous is really what ought to be. Isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among all those who call upon his name? This is nuts. Ananias isn't enough. A guy by the name of Bartimaeus comes alongside. A guy gifted in encouragement. A guy gifted in being able to see in people not necessarily what is, but what could be. And thank God for Paul and for us, he did. Verse 26. When Paul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. Duh. Not believing he was really a disciple, but Barnabas. You got to have but God. But if we're going to pull this thing off that he sent us to go and do, you got to have but church. But Barnabas. But Chad. But George, but Jimmy, but Jack, but Gail, but Carlene, but. That's the message of this book, church. That's the mandate of this church. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And so Saul stayed with him and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. And I love this guy, Barnabas. I love him. God may have extended to him grace through Jesus Christ, but the church wrapped their arms around him in grace and helped him learn how to live in Christ. We tracking? Amen? Got to wrap this. I love this divine partnership, and I hope that we can be a part of it, church. And if you're here this morning, I'm going to invite you to do three things here with this message. If you walk in here and there's something that you've got covered up, all I can do is invite you. Do we have being the help to you that we need to be down pat? No. We're in the process. We're mumbling and fumbling. I don't know how good a help qualified Ananias and Barnabas were. But they were. And they were there. And they woke up every day trying to figure out, how are we going to unleash this guy Saul? I mean, it's... I think he's been saved. He's definitely passionate about telling about Christ, but how are we going to do this? I don't know. They figured it out day by day. If you're here this morning and you've got some stuff that you really, really, really would just soon, all right, I don't want to live covering it up. I'd like to get it out. And I'd like to tell somebody that I've got an alcohol problem. I'd like to tell somebody that I, I may be thinking about getting an abortion this next week. I'd like to tell somebody I need some help being the father that I know I need to be. And I'm not doing very good about promises with my wife and this this, this is embarrassing and it's humiliating, but I need some help on how to discipline my kids without losing it every time that I do. And I don't know how to break free from my prescription drug without telling my friends at the bridge table and them not wondering what else I've got going on. And I don't know how to read, but I'd like to learn how to read if somebody would teach me. And where do you go after you've cheated and been caught? Where do you go? You go to church. Don't we? We go to church. No. What we do is, is we go to church and we get a little God and we take him back home and we're going to cover back up with God and we're going to hope we can get this thing fixed. You know what I'm finding out? That ain't working. You're getting a little bit of God and taking it back home and trying to work it out on your own. It ain't working. Now the significance of this message on this day is, oh, church, 
if we don't get that this is our mission, I've, I've rarely heard churches split over fulfilling this mission. But I've heard churches split a lot over worship. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? We're going to fight over how we sing praises to God. We're not going to go to church with people anymore because they sing during communion. Or they have communion at the last. They have a woman serving communion. Whatever you want to, whatever you want to talk about that we could fuss about. Really. I'm not going to be a part of the mission of Christ anymore because of that. I'm not going to be a part of helping people uncover the fact that they're not good enough. And that Jesus is. I can't do that with you anymore. I've got to therefore leave. Really? God help us. God help us realize this is our mission. This is our mandate. To tell people, I'm not good enough. You know how many times that Paul's testimony is just in the book of Acts? Get this. Now the Bible's limited. It's a big book. But it's limited in space. Just the book of Acts alone. Three times he tells his testimony. I'm a mess. And without Jesus Christ, I'm sunk. And he partnered with the church. Of Ananias's and Barnabas's and Jimmy's and Gail's and John's and Marilyn's. And somehow or another they believed that they could change the world through this risen Savior. But it had to start with acknowledging I'm a mess. Here's my stuff. I'm a mess. And acknowledging is a good thing. Fessing up that I'm a mess is a good thing. But you've got to move to the second stage for anything really to happen. You've got to deal with it. And we want to be a church that helps you deal with it. We've got people here who are in 12-step programs who really are breaking free from their addiction to alcohol and their addiction to heroin. We've got some folks we can partner you with and put together a change team. And so it's not just you and Jesus. It's you and the church and Jesus. And we've got some folks in here who also have abortions in their past. I'd like to tell you what that's like if you're thinking about getting one. Or if you've had one and you don't know what to do with the the ugliness you still feel about that. We've got folks here who want to help, but you've got to acknowledge you've got some stuff, and then you've got to decide to do something about it that's good and better. But you know what's best? Is that when you actually begin to experience the healing and the help from all that, you'll leverage that against this evil one who's been setting us up to believe that we've got to be cover-up artists instead of change artists. And that's what Paul did. He leveraged it the rest of his life, whether it took him to prisons or storms or beatings or stonings. He had to tell somebody, I'm a mess. And a Messiah stepped into my life and he changed me. He graced me. And now I've got a message. A message. And hell help the one who stops me. How do you start? Just as you are. Just as you are. Isn't that great? No prerequisites. No one-on-ones to get to one-on-two. You just start. You walk down the aisle and you say, Jimmy, I'm a mess. Can you help me? And I'll say, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. One of our elders at the back, one of the elders up here at the front. We, we... And if this morning you decided, <sighs> can I get in there? Can I start over? I got so much stuff in there just want to get it cleaned off first, okay? Yes, we will do that right there. We'll hear you say, I make Jesus my Lord. 
I believe that he was good enough at the cross and that his resurrection is power enough to change my life. I want in. We'll put you in. And then we'll raise you up. And you walk out of here brand new. That's good news. Amen, church? That's good news. And we'd love to be good news today. Balls in your court. Let's pray. I just want to tell you thank you. I had no idea where this message was going to go today, but I tell you thank you. You did this. You helped me. Please help us to help others. We want to be a part of a divine partnership. Not teach people how to cover well, but change well. We're asking for your power, the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead to raise us up and send us out so that no one can shut us up. We ask us boldly in Jesus' name. Amen. Take the first step right now while we stand and while we sing, please.